side. Um, and it's, uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure and a privilege um, to be with you all today. It's our, our habit to try to get together once a month and, uh, and worship together um, as, a, as a larger body. Um, so kind of a, just a level set here um, a little bit. So at, at the Creekside Church, we have for the past several months uh, been working through, working our way through the first act of, uh, of the book of Exodus. And it just so happens um, that last week was our final week in the first act of Exodus. Exodus can be divided into three, into sections, three, three large sections. Um, we just happened to finish, it that, uh, finish that last week. And now we're moving on to a new series, which is going to be uh, in the epistle, the first epistle of John uh, in the New Testament. Um, so for one, I don't really like one-off sermons um, just because it ends up, it, it's in danger of being more my opinion than what scripture says. Um, and so it is, uh, it's a privilege to launch this uh, sermon series with you all here today as we start to dive into uh, the, uh, the first epistle of John. Um, and so I want to give just a couple of things before we read scripture, just a couple of background things about, um, about the book. So the as is implied by the title uh, of this epistle, this is an epistle written by John. Now, this is the same John that, uh, that wrote the, the gospel of John, according to John. Um, this is the same John that, uh, that is referred to in that gospel as the disciple that Jesus loved. This is the same John that, with his brother, um, went to Jesus and asked to sit, has his, sit at his right hand and left hand in heaven. Um, it's the same John that Jesus on the cross looked down and entrusted his mother to. It's the same John who, upon news of Jesus' resurrection, raced with Peter uh, to the tomb. And so you can one way to, to look at this, one way to, to, um, to think about the epistle of John is this letter is kind of John's application of his magnum opus. So, you know, his life work, his big, his big body, of course, is the, is the gospel that he wrote. Um, but this is kind of the application. This letter, to the best of our knowledge, was uh, written sometime early 70s to late 80s A.D. So this is many years after Jesus' resurrection and ascension. And so you have here this old man, John, kind of writing to his spiritual children in his old age. This this John who has seen many of his lifelong friends persecuted and even martyred. So if you were in John's shoes with your age and wisdom, how would you encourage your spiritual children? How would you challenge them? John tells us that his goal is to build up and to bolster the faith of his spiritual children. He wants his readers to move away from doubt and towards confidence. So later on in, in this epistle, in the last chapter as he's kind of signing off, John writes, chapter 5, I write these things so that you may know that you have eternal life. And the ne next verse he indicates that this confidence is not merely that these facts are true, that he wants us to have confidence in our relationship with God. He wants us to have confidence 
and our faith in Jesus. So, John's epistle, specifically written to some spiritual children of his, specifically written to some, some, some Christians that have, that have followed uh, his teaching uh, for some time. Um, John's epistle applied today is for those of us who, uh, who may have some doubts about our relationship with God. Um, John's epistle is for those who have a hard time believing and a hard time experiencing that a holy God could delight in a sinner such as I. John's epistle is for those of us who struggle with anxiety over our brokenness, for those of us who feel like we're failures at this thing called Christianity, and John's epistle is for those of us who desire to live a more authentic, joy-filled Christian life. So having said that, if you are able... I'm sorry about the up and down today, uh, but if you're able, will you please stand for the reading of God's word? The word of the Lord comes from 1 John, the first four verses. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared... And we have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sam, will you pray for us? Yes. Dear God, thank you so much for this uh, opportunity to gather together, Lord. Uh, thank you for all the people in here, all their different stories, their different um, backgrounds, Lord. Um, it's so exciting to see all of their faces. And God, now we, uh, we pray that we um, have our eyes open and ears open by you, Lord, by your spirit, so that we can come. Um, we are a little closer to you, Lord, a little closer to your love. Your life, God, and we, uh, we truly can uh, learn what you need to live for you. Go ahead and be seated. Thank you. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to go ahead. Um, I, I've been trying to kind of give you my sermon in a sentence or so uh, up front so that you can kind of tune out. Or if you do happen to tune out, you can kind of go back to what we're really trying to talk about here. Um, so uh, here's kind of the main point. We experience more joy. I believe this is what John's trying to tell us. We're ex- we experience more joy as we experience more fellowship. And we experience fellowship with God uh, and, and with one another. We experience more joy-filled fellowship with God and one another the more we believe in the resurrected Christ. So there you go. I gave you the answers to the test uh, before I gave you the test. Um, So now we're going to spend the rest of the time kind of unpacking what I'm saying there and trying to to, to pull it out and show you uh, how I get that from the first four uh, verses of John. So one of the ways um, at at the Creekside group that we try to uh, learn to teach, get in the habit, I guess, of, of understanding and applying the Bible to ourselves is we have a set of questions that we go through in CBR, Community Bible Reading. Um, And one of the questions um, that is probably the most straightforward is whenever we read a text, we're looking for what the problem is. Uh, How how does this text help me confess my sin? 
Um, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suggest that these first four verses, uh, there's an implied problem here. It's not directly stated, but the implied problem is, um, is that joy is elusive to us. We don't often experience the kind of full-orbed joy that the Bible promises us. Um, it's, and it's, it's our tendency um, to determine a future reality beyond ourselves and then to make a plan to get or to, to achieve that reality. Um, we, we, we try to determine what is going to make us happy, what's going to bring joy in my life, and then we begin to plot and plan our way. Um, so I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's if I have a certain job or if I can attend a certain school, then I make a plan to, to get there. Um, maybe it's if I marry a certain person or if I were married to a certain type of person. Uh, and then we begin, to, um, we begin to arrange our job around or arrange our life around that ultimate destination. So we decide uh, what job uh, will help us get that ultimate destination, what church we should attend. Uh, we decide uh, what, uh, what body wash we should use, what car we should drive, what apartment we should have, what outfit we should wear, uh, and uh, maybe even what church body we should attend in order to achieve that ultimate destination that we're looking for. Now, some of us, it's not, we're not, we've we, moved on in the life stage of pining after someone else of the opposite sex. But for us, maybe it is, if I only have X amount of dollars in the bank account, then I can kind of relax. Then I can not feel the pressure a- anymore, and I can kind of be alive, and I can just enjoy life. So I don't know what it is for you, but I would ask you to think about what, destination have you decided on? What destination do you believe will bring you joy, delight, and fulfillment? And how are you trying to get there? Maybe it's, if I just have happy, healthy kids, I'll do anything if I can just have happy, healthy kids. If I could just get that remodel I've been wanting. A significant part or the human life is this never-ending internal dialogue about where and how. It's this incessant obsession of an end outside our present reality and the means to that end. And the trouble is not that we have aspirations. The trouble is that we have a chronic dissatisfaction with the present. But also that we are constantly pursuing ultimate satisfaction in things that were never meant to satisfy. And John points us, in the last half of verse 3, he points us to the solution. He encourages us how to achieve the joy that our hearts seek. In John, in his experience, in his, old, in his old age, in his wisdom, he says complete joy doesn't come from having things. It comes from having relationships. Pure delight isn't from having the most toys, but it is in knowing others and being known by others. Specifically, fulfillment. Fullness of life doesn't come from knowing facts about God. It, is, it comes from knowing God and being known by him. 
the, the word that's used in the second half of, of, of verse 3, um, we translate, and our fellowship is with the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. Now, is there a more churchy word in the entire English language than fellowship? Has anybody ever heard the word fellowship outside of church? Um, it, you know, so it's an unfortunate translation just because it carries that churchy baggage. Um, but it, at the same time, I don't know a better word to, to, to use here. Um, I think fellowship conjures up images of, um, of potlucks uh, and fellowship halls and all of that stuff. But in the original language, in John wrote in Greek, and in the original Greek language, the word didn't mean what we think of when we think of fellowship, I don't think. Uh, the word meant deep, face-to-face intimacy. Strong, shoulder-to-shoulder partnership. It meant gracious hand-to-hand giving. So the Greeks, when they used this word, they most often used it for intimate love relationships. The Romans, around the same time in the same uh, in the same time period, used the same word most commonly for um, for work relationships, specifically among family members, strong work partnerships. The New Testament um, uses the word in, uh, in a number of different ways. Sometimes it is to refer to intimate relationships. Sometimes it is referring to co-laboring in mission. Um, and sometimes it's used to describe believers sharing their possessions with other believers whenever they were needed. So sometimes in the New Testament, the word is translated fellowship. Sometimes it's translated sharing. Sometimes it's translated partnership. But the point is this. What brings perfect delight? John says face-to-face community, intimacy with God and with God's people, partnership with God in his mission, communion, with the Trinity in his expansion of his kingdom. What brings fullness of life? The open-handed sharing of resources with God and with his people. The Bible says that complete joy isn't from having things or knowing things. It comes from knowing and being known by God and his people. So John would say, Don't seek life, don't seek joy by accomplishing something in the present. Seek life and seek joy by accomplishing something eternal with God, for God, and with his friends. In pursuit of your happiness, do not hold on to your extra money, but give your extra money to people who need it, even if that means that in the future you will have to have their money. You'll have to ask for their resources. God knows what we long for. God knows the depths of our beings, and he wants us to be delighted. And he tells us that fellowship, the Greek word koinonia, that's how we get it. Just, just think, back, think with me for just a second. Think back to Adam and Eve in the garden. 
God's original plan for humanity. Think back to life before it was shattered by the fall, by sin and death. What do we know about Adam and Eve? They were naked and unashamed. They had face-to-face intimacy with one another and with God. They knew God. They walked with him. They talked with him. They had intimacy with their creator God. They were sent on a critical mission by God as image bearers to take his kingdom and to expand it around the chaotic globe. They had a significant purpose to stand shoulder to shoulder with one another in that mission. They were part of God's global dominion. And not only that, but God said, look at all these resources. Look at everything I've created. I'm giving it to you. Whatever you need in life and in mission, you can have it all. So just a few kind of practical thoughts here. We will have increased joy when we have increased, ex, incre, when we, as we increasingly experience koinonia, fellowship, with both God and with God's people. And because of that, therefore, the Apostle John would probably encourage us to think twice before we work late instead of going to our small groups. The Apostle John, knowing that koinonia can uniquely fill us with joy and energy, would think we probably should think again before we declare ourselves too tired to participate in community Bible reading. John, understanding that we are des- how we are designed and created... Understanding how koinonia with God and one another um, alone brings joy, he might say that attending worship is more valuable in the long term than getting a jump start on that getaway. He would say that you might be turning to something that cannot satisfy in saying no thanks to the way that God intends to fill you up. Listen, and this is, I'm preaching to myself here. So, excuse me for a moment. Um, Parents, would you like to enjoy parenting more? Would you like to experience more joy and more delight in your parenting? John is saying, Understand and remember how parenting advances God's kingdom, both today and in the future. John says, sit face to face with God and pray about your children and about your parenting. Sit face to face with other believers and hold hands with other believers and encourage one another in the crucial aspect that is parenting to the mission of God. Do you want to uh, enjoy your job to find your job more fulfilling and delightful? John would say, spend face-to-face time with God so that you can understand from God why he has called you to this specific role in this specific time. 
John would say, sit face to face, shoulder to shoulder with other believers and brainstorm what it looks like for me to advance the mission of God in this place that he has called me to work and to serve. John says, whatever is going on in our lives, if we want more energy, more joy, more contentment, more satisfaction, and more peace, he says it comes in relationship with the Creator, redeeming all things for and through His Son and with those who are walking with Him. We experience more and more joy when we experience more and more koinonia fellowship. All right, so how do we, how do, we do it? Um, verse 1, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. We experience increased joy through fellowship with God and one another as we continue to hear and increasingly believe the gospel of the resurrected Jesus. So if you spend some time looking at and thinking about the first two verses of 1 John here, something it becomes pretty clear that John is referring to Jesus, his life and his mission, his message. And at first, it might be a little bit obscure. Um, John is not, he doesn't, he's he's not referencing just the man, but he's also referencing his life, his entire mission. John wants our joy to complete, to be complete. And that happens when we have koinonia with God and with each other. And that is the result of the constant and repeated speaking of and hearing about the gospel of the resurrected Jesus. Let's remember who John's talking to. John's epistle is for his spiritual children. He tells us later on in the epistle that some of these uh, men and women have been walking with him since the beginning. They've been disciples of Christ since the resurrection. These are Christians that John is writing to. And it is to these Christians that John is saying, remember the gospel. Remember the life and the message of Jesus. These believers um, are being tempted to walk away from Christ and Christianity. Their, their experience of Christianity wasn't what it may, 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 may not have been what it once was. And he is telling them something they already know, that Jesus is the means by which you get to where you want to go. You want to receive joy? Go back to the gospel. Go back to the resurrected Christ, the reason that you first believed, the reason you first came. Four times in four verses, he mentions communication of Jesus to a people who already knew Jesus. He keeps going back to Christ. He testifies in verse 2. He proclaims in verse 3. He writes in verse 4. What this tells me is that the repeated and the constant communication of and the hearing about Jesus is the path to increased koinonia, which will result in joy. 
All right, so why do I keep saying the resurrected Jesus? Verse 1, John says of Jesus, it's, it's translated here, um, that which we have looked on and our hands have touched. Um, the, the word that's used here talking about the, 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 that which we, our hands have touched, the word that's used here in the Greek is a fairly rare word uh, in the New Testament. The only time it's used outside of here is in Luke 24 when the resurrected Jesus appears to his fearful disciples in the upper room and Jesus says, see my hands and feet. Touch me. Handle me. A spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. John says twice in verse 2 that Jesus was made manifest to them. This, this Greek word is never used for the incarnation uh, of Christ. And it's never used in the Greco-Roman culture uh, to refer to the birth of someone. He's talking, about Jesus, not, he's talking not about Jesus' birth. He's talking about Jesus' resurrection. In Mark and Luke, uh, at the end of their Gospels, when the resurrected Jesus appears, when he is made manifest to them prior to the ascension, it's this word that's used. John is saying that the constant, repeated communication of and hearing about Jesus and his resurrection is the way, it is the path, it is the road to delight for which we seek. So why is this so? We all know that face-to-face encounter with God as unclean, Sinful persons would and should result in our death. But the message of the resurrected Christ, that tells me that Jesus died. It tells me that he died for my sins in my place. And that in him, I am face to face with the Father. It tells me that in order to have koinonia, in order to have this intimate relationship with the Father, I must believe in a resurrected Jesus. In order to have intimate and missional relationships with one another, with fellow Christians, we must keep going back to Jesus. Think about it. How, how can you be authentic? How can we be real and honest in light of how sinful and broken and wounded we are. The only way, only when we know that we are accepted by the Creator King, only when we know that we are accepted by the all-knowing God will we have the courage to increasingly be known by other people. But also... In order to fall in love with Jesus more and more, I have to repeatedly see the resurrected Jesus and repeatedly see that he went through hell to give me eternal life. When I see him in all his beauty and glory, 
Then I turn. It's, it's only, only once I see him in all his beauty and glory that I then turn from these temporal things and I look towards him and I move towards him and I move towards the life that he has for me. John is saying to us what we read every morning in community Bible reading. You have to keep going back to Jesus. He is the way to, to the fellowship that will bring you life and that will bring your life joy. Every other world teaches, every other world religion, excuse me, teaches, I have to do things to get the blessing of God. The gospel of the resurrected Jesus tells me that he has done everything and I already have the blessing of God. Therefore, to experience a relationship with him and to experience intimacy with fellow believers, I can go back to the one who gives me that life, who covers my brokenness, who gives me his righteousness. Let's pray. Most gracious God and heavenly Father, um, we thank you for this reminder yet again that in you are all the pleasures we seek. In you and in your community um, are all the delights that we seek after. In you and in your mission is the satisfaction of our soul. We praise you for the gospel of Jesus that we have failed to yet again live out this week. We stand before you again face to face, your face delighting in us, enjoying us, your Holy Spirit about the mission of transforming us, you, Lord Jesus, waiting for the Father to say, go back and bring the new heavens and the new earth to them. They are my children. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us insight to not live like the world, Help us to not think that the joy of our life is in front of us. Help us to enjoy what has already been given to us in Jesus. Help us to not believe that the things of this world will satisfy, but that you are our satisfaction and your kingdom coming is our delight. Give us discernment. We pray, Holy Spirit, to live our lives in ways contrary to this world that we might win more and more folks uh, to this world, from this world, into your family. We pray these things for the sake and for the glory of the Lord Jesus. Amen.